Can I swear on this show? Is that allowed? Yeah, yeah, by all means. Okay, sweet. All right, I just don't want to take it down intellectually at all. So, like, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I don't think we'll be in danger. Of I don't that. think there's it's any. Fine. Okay, there's no risk of that. Welcome to List Envy, the show that's all about joy, the joy of discovering new friends and of finding new things to love. My name is Mark Stedman, and the concept of the joy of discovery is exemplified no better than in this episode with game designer and developer Valerie Paris. Uh, we got talking uh, about building our own games, because of course that's that's what Valerie does, uh, and you'll find her work at itch.io. Uh, the links are in the show notes, of course. Um, but we started with uh, me recounting my own experiences building a text adventure game for my friends. So if you want, just, just so you know, uh, this is not a formal plug, they're not sponsoring me, but Quest uh, has a really versatile... Uh, a text-based adventure game engine that you can you can freely publish into like HTML, um, and it's got everything that you'd possibly want, including like iframes and like graphics support and stuff. So, uh, if you don't want to be smart like Mark and make your own, uh, Quest is a good place to start. Also, Twine is a great place to start for that. Also. Yeah, I, I that was Twine was the first one I started with, and the reason I didn't go with it is although you can do it all in text, it doesn't allow you the old school ability to just have a blinking cursor at the, the parser, bottom. Yeah. yeah, the parser is key. Right, there's there's a way to do it uh, with SugarCube, which is an extension of Twine, but in out-of-the-box Twine, it doesn't let you do it unless you're, like, super skilled HTML coder. Um, but, yeah, like, you got to have, like, the Go North uh, examine <laughs> yeah. ass look at girl um, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, so do you, have you made a game since? Or no, that just like the first? one. I keep telling myself that I'll do, I'll make another one because uh, I like the process. And if I can remember how the engine works, uh, then hopefully it will make sense and I can build another one. Um, but it's all open source, um, uh, and it's it's on it's on my GitHub because you know that's what we do. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a fun way to spend the Christmas, um, the last sort of few days of the Christmas period. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, like, what's better than like a custom video game? Exactly. Um, so um, tell me about uh, so your game is Butterfly Collector. Butterfly Collector. Yeah, that's that's the one um, that I most recently came out with. I'm working on another one for the haunted PS1 demo disc with my friend Valerie. She's also named Valerie. Uh, do you know anything about like the haunted PS1 demo disc? Are you like a big indie horror? No. Fan? Um, so like the indie horror scene is pretty big right now. Uh, there's like a lot of games coming out from this community called the haunted PS1 community, and um, they do a, we do a demo disc like uh, I think like annually, and it's got like a ton of games on it. And um, so we we made a submission. I don't know if we're gonna get in, but. Uh, it's it's cool. There's like uh, like if you're interested in horror, like indie horror uh, at all, it's like the thing to play. So, um, but yeah, Butterfly Collector yeah, is like a, is like an homage to like old '90s CD-ROM games. So try to like capture the feeling of um, finding like a weird CD-ROM at like a junk you know junkyard festival or you know yes. whatever, and just like what the hell is this sort of a sort of a thing. Yeah. I love this so much. Um. I, I so you'll know all about um, Pet Cop then. Pet Cop, uh, maybe not then. So uh, I no, <laughs> Pet Cop, Pet Cop. Uh, it's, yeah, it's got an S. Um, so uh, when I did the Christmas special of this episode, uh, we were talking about like weird urban legends and things like that, and I ended up finding because there was this thing about the haunted Ocarina of Time cartridge, uh, the N sixty four cartridge. Mm. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so I started going down a rabbit hole of like haunted video games. And the iceberg, as they call it. Ah, yes, exactly. And there was this, uh, there's this channel where this guy plays a game called Pets Cop. And it's like a, a, a PS1 game. And basically the spoiler is um, it was an R, you know, it was an ARG, um, but it was oh. really well put together. Like the guy did, there's only a couple of like telltale signs that he probably did it in unity uh, with a little bit of after effects or something. Cause there's only a couple of things that aren't quite period accurate, but everything else is just the sounds, the pixelation, the movement of the characters. It all feels very PS1 era. Uh, and he's just woven this bizarre horror narrative uh, around that it's it's worth it's worth looking into that is incredible i'm gonna definitely have to look at that i love those like have you i love those like weird like arg enigmatic like stuff like that was kind of like frog fractions too right like i don't think i know that one yeah frog fractions is like a game where it's like there's like a base game and you're like it looks kind of weird you're just like what is this like bizarre uh, arcade game but then there's like weird worlds hidden within the game and people have tried to like crack it and go deeper and deeper and deeper and it's just like this strange rabbit hole um that just kind of like popped up on the web one day and people were just like what is it what does it mean um <laughs> i love stuff like that it's super fun well we should probably make uh make some lists yeah let's get into some listing yeah. Um, well, actually, before we do, I, I do want to ask you, um, what is your affinity with um, with the, the sort of the point and click adventure game? I guess I would say my, my love stems from the fact that there's just so much you can like, like people are just kind of figuring out what to do with video games and like CD-ROM games um, at the time that like a lot of them were coming out. So there was no like right or wrong way to do it. Like the, the big kind of studio games, like the big money behind these games uh, was not, like, formulated into, like, we need to make the next, like, AAA shooter. We need to make the next, like, you know, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Like, it was, like, there, you know, that, not that there's anything wrong with those games, but there was no, like, there was, like, huge, like, corporate money being thrown at these, like, weird artists that were just, like, I don't know, it's a CD-ROM. You can put, like, you know, your your weird music recording on it with some graphics and turn it into a thing. Um it, it, so it, it produced a lot of work that feels like mechanically and just presentation wise very different than a lot of games coming out today. Of course, a lot of them feature puzzle mechanics, which are I, I like puzzles a lot, but I know it's not everybody's thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I wasn't really I mean, I was I was just born when, when most of them were coming out. But I over the years sort of growing up on you know windows uh 95 and stuff rediscovering them um, throughout that growing up process for sure so what has to make your what what has to make the list what is number one for you i think the number one and probably most probably most obvious choice is grim fandango has to be on there it's so popular and i know nothing about grim fandango <sighs> i i know I know it's it, this is my haven't seen Star Wars. Oh no, that's okay. I I mean, listen, <laughs> I mean, the very good comparison because they're both by like Lucas. Yeah, Lucas out in the Lucasfilm or LucasArts. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to yell at you uh, like you like a Star Wars fan would uh, for not having played Grim Fandango, but um, it's 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 super great. Like it's. It's 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 hilarious. That's the number one thing about it is the world is unlike any other. It's like based on the Day of the Dead, um, like lore and the the just like it, it's a game that will literally just have you like in hysterics throughout the entire game. 
Um, and even down to the fact of like the game kind of makes fun of you for it has a lot of inventory puzzles, right? People who have played a lot of adventure games are familiar with inventory puzzles and how frustrating they can be. <laughs> they can li- they literally make fun of you for some of the things that you will try to do. Because you will try and jam anything into anything. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you'll just be, like, frustratingly, maybe this, like... So there's literally a puzzle <laughs> where, like, you have to scare away some birds and you have, like, a... a, a animal balloon like a blow-up balloon picture of robert frost the poet <laughs> so like he, if you try to do it he'll be like he's like watch out pigeons robert frost is coming or something and just like <laughs> and it's just some like weird shit and it's 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 hilarious it's it's super fun oh god yeah i i i need to get on that because i i suspect um there's there's one that may make your list and it only doesn't make mine because I haven't played enough of it, but it's very much in the same in the same vein. But I'm going to go since you've gone Lucas Arts. I'm going to go Lucas Arts because I'm unsure of my order yet. I was worried that this would happen. Yeah. I'm going to go <laughs> Day of the Tentacle. <gasps> okay, so I figured that that was probably going to be on your mm-hmm. list. Um, tell me a little bit about Day of the Tentacle because I actually that's one of the ones I haven't played from Lucas Arts. Ah, so okay. I'm interested to know. So with Day of the Tentacle, you play three different characters who. Uh, due to a mad scientist mix-up, end up in three different time zones. Uh, so, let's see if I can remember who... So, I think Hoagie is the... Because um, he's from Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure. Um, he ends up in... I think he's called Hoagie. He ends up in, like, colonial times with... Um, oh, God, who's the... Who's the oh, my American history is very bad. Who's the president with the cherry tree? Lincoln, isn't it? Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, George Washington. No, Washington, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's he ends up in, in Washington times and uh, he's got to do stuff with Betsy Ross and the uh, he's got to convince Betsy, Betsy Ross to make the flag. Um, <laughs> and then you've got... Uh, I can't remember the other two characters' names, but then you've got a, a girl who's in the future who... The tentacles, who are these evil... Well, tentacles... Um, who who are sentient and um, they walk around, they move by jumping on their suckers. They've got suckers on the bottom of their of their Same. bodies, and they just sort of <laughs> move along like that. Same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've they've taken over the world, and uh, in the present, so basically, all three of them in past, present, and future have to work together send objects forwards and backwards in time or do things in time to influence things that happen in the future or the past or whatever. And it's really fun and, and it's funny and it's in that proper style of you've got the, the like nine verbs on the bottom left and you're, you know, you're verbing the nouns with your mouse and yeah, it's great. That's awesome. I'm going to definitely have to check it out and, and I'm sure it's got like the classic like Lucas Arts writing and humor throughout it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, see, I was worried that uh, like like we could make a top five Lucas Arts like adventure game list for sure. But um, I I want us to, as we move towards the final list, I, I will say if you we can agree on a rule to limit it to two Lucas Arts games, maybe and maybe that's fair. And it will come into contention because I think. My number three is also a Lucas Arts game, yeah, but I'm well. willing to go with Day of the Tentacle um, as a compromise. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, what's your number two? Yeah, so my number two. I mean, this is like the obvious one, and I choose it because everybody. I guess. I guess like you'd expect it. I, I mean, like you'd expect it to be on the list, but it's. I have a reason for putting it there as well. Is missed. Oh. Um, yeah. Do you remember Mist? Were you? I had. Did you have a copy? I had a 
demo of it on a CD, one of those magazines where every month you got a CD worth of all sorts of stuff, and I never played it. It might have appeared on the same CD that Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail appeared, and that's all I played that month. Oh, I mean, honestly, I don't think... I don't, I'm not going to say you missed out if you chose to play Monty Python, because that sounds like like what I would have chosen as well. Yeah, so Miss came out in 1993, um, I think for MS-DOS, it's by Cyan, um, and it was really kind of like one of the first of its kind in terms of the first person, you know, choose uh, kind of like point-and-click puzzle game. And the thing is, it ran on everything. Like, this game literally, they like you said, they packaged it in like some like shareware kind of like weird package like you could get it in sears like the game was freaking everywhere um and every machine could run it and it was like the first time that people had seen like a 3d world on their desktop because this is around like the birth of like the personal computer era most people had not had like access to running kind of any kind of like sophisticated graphics before everything before was kind of like very text-based and stuff so this was really um for a lot of people uh, of all ages, their introduction to, like, computer PC gaming. Um, and I think part of the reason why it stands as this kind of fond memory that everybody, uh, you know, kind of, like, has some some connection to is because it is was this era of, like, we didn't really know what you could do with personal computers yet. Like, people were still kind of just getting them into their houses and it was like this whole new world so this idea that you could be also going to this completely unique world of mist island um and solving these puzzles and everything was kind of very strange and exploratory and enigmatic like that was kind of i think the one of the main reasons people enjoyed it not so much because people actually played a lot of it, because according to the developer, only 80% of people actually got off the first island. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Uh, no, 80% of people did not get off the first island. Oh. So only 20% of people like completed the actual, saw anything except the, the like first 10 minutes of game content. But <laughs> it still had like enough of a like memory you know for a lot of people that it's like oh yeah mist was like super cool super innovative right so that's my number two did you ever watch halt and catch fire um you know what that's the amc show right mm. yeah no i haven't but it's like about people who are trying to make computers yeah the, the, back in the, like, day? the first series was all about someone making um the first laptop or around the same time it was one of the companies that was making an early laptop and then the second one was about uh i think the early days of lan uh of networking uh and then mm. then they did one on lan gaming specifically and then it got into the internet and and the web and co- like the f- it's cuz you you follow these characters through the series and they they have different jobs to do with with uh tech and they're always sort of around these big tech things uh you know at various uh linchpin moments in time and one of the I think it's possibly the last series. There's this sort of uh, riot girl punk kind of aesthetic developer who's been in, you know, main character all the way through the the series. And in the last season, she invents, she creates this game which feels very mist-like in that she it sells okay, I think, but no one knows how to like complete it. Um, um, and it takes her yeah. best friend, who she's been estranged from for ages, to finally figure out you, you do this thing or you atone with this person, and then you can finally complete the game. And she's like, "Yes, you're the only one who gets it." <laughs> it 
sounds like bad design. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. Yes, it was it was arrogant design. It was very arrogant. Yeah, game arrogant design. design yeah. Right, but I mean, it it, it fulfilled the the story <laughs> yes. and plot goals very nicely. Yes. So it's a beautiful. Uh, show. That sounds very cool. I'll have to check. Was that the first season or the third season that you were? Oh, it's like the that might be the last one, which is like fourth i think it did four seasons maybe maybe one more that's when they finally catch fire that's when they finally yeah. actually catch spoiler fire. alert but that's, that's when, when the fire happens catches fire. uh yeah the, the, all the other seasons are just halting they're just they're just waiting <laughs> just yeah yeah waiting for that yeah um okay Ooh, what do i go with next because you so so we went funny to begin with then we went sort of intrepid and mysterious right and i might i might go intrepid and mysterious and I'm not sure. I f- I think this counts, but I, I I will. I'm happy to take a ruling on it if if you know the game. Um, sure. Little Big Adventure. Um, I have not heard of it, but tell me about it. Um, so they had they had two games, uh, and yeah, it was it was released in the states as Relentless, which felt very antith- antithetical to what the game is. It was this sweet sort of quite calm game developed by this French um, outfit, and you you are a character called Twinson and you just I can't remember the actual story but you just you just go and you solve little puzzles and you meet characters and it was all sort of isometric 3D and it's got a beautiful theme tune uh you can just youtube LBA theme tune it's lovely uh and it was it was made and I think conceived by a, a like a really small team and uh I think one guy did like all of the voices for it it's all voiced um and it's just this really nice, um, yeah. There's there's just lots of little puzzly type things that you solve, and you can go on these quests. It's not like an open world kind of adventure. It's very much in a story, um, but it's yeah. It's 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 got its own sort of universe. It's got a nice bit of world building. Uh, it's quite a sweet game, and that would have been uh, from around the same time period. I think maybe maybe ninety four, um, and then they had a sequel which was. LBA two Twinson's Odyssey, I believe, which was uh, it, it just it looked a little bit nicer. It was the same kind of the same kind of deal, just fun, nice little characters, and just it it's quite it's a chill game. We we stand a chill game. Um, I'm looking at the pictures and it looks super cute and cozy. Yeah, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have to check this out. So do you, do you, do you, would you say that it uh, still holds up? Oh, now you see, that's a really interesting question. I don't, I don't know, because it's been a while since I've, because uh, I'm on a Mac. It's been a while since I've booted up DOSBox and tried to download anything more than like Commander Keen, which I used to play relentlessly, oh, yeah. um, or Doom. Um, so I, I haven't tried playing LBA, uh, but I'm sure it's on. I hope it's on good old games or somewhere, maybe somewhere illegal. Um, but it's worth seeking out. It seems like it's on GOG.com, so definitely downloadable. And also, I just uh, found out that uh, Frederick Reynal, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I'll go with that. Um, is one of the was the lead designer of this. And you, we might know, folks might know him from the creator of Alone in the Dark, which was like the first survival horror game. Not a point-and-click game, so can't make our list, but um, very influential game. So. Uh, I, I love his stuff, so I, I'm now doubly excited to play it. There you go. Uh, so it probably won't make our top five, but I think it's it's it, it deserves a mention anyway, an honourable mention perhaps. Well, you know what? I have some weird ones on here, so I think that uh, we, we might might want to include it. And like that game sounds like probably, I would say it's a little bit obscure, so I'm going to go kind of obscure with my next pick. 
um, which the game is called Still Life. Uh, this one is a little bit later in the output. It's probably as late in the kind of point-and-click adventure stock game uh, era as possible, which is like 2004 to 2006. So this came out in 2005. Um, it's by Microids. Have you played it or have you heard of it? No. Okay. I've not heard of it at all. all right. This is going to be like, this could be a little bit difficult. <laughs> We're going to have to trust yeah. each other with these list recommendations. But so um, it is set in two eras. So you play as two characters. You play as Victoria McPherson, who is an FBI agent in Chicago investigating a serial killer. Um, and it's also, you also play as her grandfather, who was also investigating a serial killer in 1920s Prague. So the game switches back and forth and you kind of learn more about uh, the grandfather and, and kind of, you know, what he was, was doing. Um, and essentially, the cases start to mimic each other, which kind of leads her to kind of suspect that there, this might be like a copycat killer. Um, and then that kind of kicks off the main action. So what I would what I would say is interesting about this game. Um, it's developed built by French studios. So like the the background, while it is set in Chicago, um, the backgrounds are like very fantastical for like Chicago. Like it's not just typical. Like everything is drab and dreary. Like they are beautiful. Um, it, it's it, yeah, it, it's got a really interesting look to yeah. it. Yeah, and the the game has like this whole art theme. So the and I don't know if this is like a minor spoiler if anybody's going to play it, but um, you, you find out that essentially there is an artist who is painting pictures that de- depict very similar things to the situations that the the murders are happening in. Um, so it, you kind of suspect that maybe the artist is involved, or maybe the person is a fan. Um, the game was was uh, originally supposed to have a like a, a sequel um, that was going to reveal who the murderer was, but you actually never figure out who it was at the end um, because that sequel was not uh, kind of like fell through. Well, there is a sequel, but it's not it's not very good, and it doesn't like directly continue the story in the same kind of way. Um, so, my girlfriend and I have. A theory as to who it was and i i will let people play it if they want but um it's it kind of strikes that right balance of like the puzzles are super great the characters are really interesting and it has this kind of like if david fincher directed like a like a serial killer murder mystery point and click it would probably feel somewhat similar to this game so i i enjoy it a lot yeah the 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 art style i dig uh and yeah, I'm just watching a sequence where you you do a whole thing with a with a black light uh, to expose some clues. Uh, this thing looks great. Yeah, it, it's really well made. Um, it's really well made, really well acted. The characters are super well fleshed out. So, and uh, it's kind of cozy. Yeah, it's, it's set during Christmas time. So, uh, happy Christmas, everybody! All right, I'm going to lighten things up, and I'm going to go with. So I'm trying. I'm looking up all of these things, and I. I don't think I owned a single one of these games. All of these games were owned by my best friend at the time mm. um, of, of quite a few years. And we played through loads of these. I mean, there's loads more that I haven't uh, listed, but I'm going to go with the first one that he ever showed me when he got his new PC. He was, he was totally delighted to, to show me his new CD-ROM PC that he got um, in 1990 something. And the first game that he showed me, this is the first time I'd ever heard anything 
of this world, didn't know anything uh, of this world at all, and it was Discworld. Oh, okay. Interesting pick. Interesting pick. Go go on. So I didn't know any... Like I was pre-Pratchett at this point. Um, he'd started reading the books, and this was... I was pre... Uh, Monty Python, which is significant because Eric Idle, uh, yeah. yeah, voices Rincewind. Um, but then it's also f- chock full of people who are still working in British comedy today. Um, it's got a very early appearance. So basically there's like five or six people who do all the voices. Most of the voices are done by one dude who is now um, just like a household name in the in the UK. Uh, this guy called Rob Bryden. Oh, yeah, Rob Bryden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did all of the... Of course, you know, you, you might know him from the trip. He did all of the voices that, you know, one or two other people didn't do. Um, and it is just... I loved it for that. I loved it for the, the sense of humour because it's really funny. Um, and it's it's intriguing. It is... Uh, what, so one of the... Uh, spoiler to a, to a future episode, uh, one of the lists that we're going to be doing is top five fictional librarians. And... Um, number one on my list with a bullet is the librarian from Discworld from from the Ankh-Morpork Pork um, Unseen University, who is a chimpanzee. Uh, and every time Eric Idle, uh, as Rincewind, accidentally says the word monkey, um, the uh, librarian hits him on the head. And um, it's just got loads of like great little gags. And then they got in the in the sequel, they got quite meta and knowing. There were like Python gags in there. Uh, he did a song. Eric Idle wrote and performed a song. Um, it's just, they're just great. And, and it's, it's a proper, like, this was before video games were the kind of household name that they are. And so to have got the voice talents that they got, uh, you know, uh, Rob Brydon, Sean Pert, sorry, John Pertwee, who's now dead. Um, uh, uh, Tony Robinson, who played Baldrick, um, and, and, uh, Eric Idle and, and yeah, it like to have got those people when they were big names to, to sit and record all these stupid lines for this video game were amazing. I'm always, I'm always fascinated by that too, because you play these freaking weird ass, like games from the nineties that like, it's looks, it looks like three people made it like not in a bad way, but it's like, who, who got the money to like, you know, you'll, you'll find games with like, I think full throttle had like Mark Hamill like uh james woods david bowie like pretty like big names for the time um will just be popping up as like these like cool characters uh i do remember having to give the the monkey a banana to get into the library of knowledge or whatever that is but um yeah uh, super fun game very um very faithful to the to the novels uh and the world yeah very long I will say it's it's I, it's one of those games that I think would be perfect. Like if you're of if you're of the age where you're just getting into these games and you can spend like a ton of time just like getting really invested in a world. Um, it's it's absolutely a great choice. Uh, super funny. I will say the puzzles for me uh, kind of drag it down a bit. Um, like I think there's like one where you have to put like an octopus in a toilet and like a guy gets stuck at the toilet with some jam or whatever. Um, just like <laughs> just bonkers stuff. But it was cool because uh, I believe it, there was a time travel theme element too. Yeah, there was a yeah because you've got L space which allows you to yeah to travel back to the previous night or something like that. Yeah, so you could like put items in like i think there was a point where you had to like put a frog into your own mouth while you were sleeping in the past and then go to the, it's just it's just really great uh really good. a good choice i think it was a really interesting choice very nice what's number four so next one i would probably go with uh kind of a more lighthearted choice as well um loom this is another lucas arts title 
I think from 1993. Have you played this one? No, I don't know this one at all. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm actually sorry. It's 1990. Okay. Um, this is probably the least well-known of the LucasArts library. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, uh, because it's it's really it's really entertaining. Uh, the game came. Um, this is this is back when games would come in big boxes, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, it, it came with an, a 30 minute audio cassette that would explain the prologue to the game. So you actually had to <laughs> listen to the prologue. And then in order to circumvent the copyright protection on the floppy disk, it came with a specialized red transparency. So you'd have to put the red transparency over the thing and then open up the magic book they sent you and then cross-reference the magic book. And then when the game asks you to put in the copyright protection code, um, very fun. Very cool. Oh, God, they were a nightmare, those yeah, things. Yeah, they were, but uh, I also love it. And so the <laughs> the game nowadays, uh, essentially, uh, the, the crux of the game is you play as uh, Bobby Thumblewood or something, and he's like a, he's like a, a weaver, so he can, like, control time and space with, me- with like, his, like, magic loom. So you had to play um, musical notes instead of a ver- verb system or a text parser um, to solve the puzzles. So you could put in four-note musical sequences on this, like, uh, staff, and um, depending on if you played the spell forward, it would do the effect forward. If you... If you played it in reverse it would do the opposite of the spell so as you can imagine it came up with some pretty interesting uh puzzle combinations as you would eventually unlock new notes to play and different ways that you can alter time and space around you um beautiful beautiful backgrounds i think some of the most beautiful backgrounds that lucasarts has have made in those games and uh, just a really fun fantastical world It, it gives me Discworld vibes for sure that whole experience it looks very um, C- CGA. It's like pre, like the artwork is pre VGA. Like the, they didn't quite have the access to colors. It was a sixteen color palette. Yeah, it was the original game. Uh, the I think the re release. Um, they updated the graphics a little bit to the full like two hundred fifty six color palette. But the original yeah. one, they were limited to just those sixteen colors. And I think they did a pretty good job considering. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, wonderful. Okay. Ah, right. I'm going to go for a game that I've never heard anyone talk about ever. Okay. I'm excited. My dad went on... uh, So he was uh, was in the Territorial Army for a bit, which is a bit like... um, So the equivalent on the office in the the States was when Dwight Schrute was like a sheriff's deputy. Um, So it's like part-time being sort of in the army, sort of. And he used to go away on these uh, on these exercises for two weeks, and then he'd come back, and uh, he would he would often come back with a gift. And he came back with this bizarre, um, like four CD game. I'd never seen a game come on four CDs before, and this was in about ninety five, and it was a game called Under a Killing Moon. Oh, Tex Murphy. Yes, Tex Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a good choice. Go go on. Tell the folks at home about Tex Murphy. Yeah. So this was the first Tex Murphy game I was aware of. Um, The the, the guy who plays Tex Murphy, who came up with the game, um, actually, like, they went wild because the first one was, like, really old school, like, 2D animation. And then they went buck wild with 
uh, the, I think this was the third installment because the second one was Overseer, I think. Um, and it's basically lots of full motion video in a tiny little letterbox because that's all that could fit. Um, and it was it was like a, a noir detective thriller set in the future where you've got mutants, everyone's irradiated, and there's a whole plot, uh, which I, I don't really remember much of. Um, but he's this washed up private eye, all the tropes that you expect in a, in a PI. Um, and he's living in this, in this town where all the, um, all the, uh, the people who've been, um, exposed to radiation live. And he flies around in his like Blade Runner style, uh, sort of fl- flying car, uh, and, and solves this mystery. Uh, and there's a moon base and all sorts of stuff. And it's got James L. Jones. What? I forgot that he's in that. Uh, yeah, and once again, who who would have thought? Obviously, who would have right. thought? Um, and it's 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 it, so it is point and click, um, but it's a slightly sort of three D point and click, um, and then you've just got lots of this motion motion graphic uh, full motion stuff recorded with a lot of very bad green screen. Yep. I've watched this back every now and again, and it's amazing how very bad the green screen was. Oh my god! I was like, "What? What are they even doing?" It's like they use a zoom filter. It's <laughs> but like, yes, the the first I I remember the first one very specifically. Like, I mean, you have to kind of approach it with its own like on its own terms. You know what I mean? With the, with yeah. all of those old yeah. FMV games, it's like, yeah, the acting's gonna be a little cheesy, but it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Like, just enjoy it uh, because it's like it looks like somebody made this in their apartment, and it's wonderful. Um, but <laughs> Under a Killing Moon is actually a really great game, and yeah, it does have that like uh, it does have that like um, first person, but still kind of looks cartoonish style mm, yeah um there's almost a slapstick element to some of the some of the bits yeah yeah i know it's yeah. super funny and it's like a really original world i i would recommend that one i i think that one has to go on our list for sure oh cool I, wow. I, I would say. it's available on steam as well which is which is quite nice uh wow okay well i'm i'm, I'm gratified that you uh you, you're aware of the game um i should expect nothing less what is number five yeah so number five for me this is I don't know if it's going to make the list now because we've named so many great ones, but um, it, for me, I think it, it, it deserves at least honorable mention. Um, and it's it's a very weird game. Uh, this game was originally uh, worked on by David Lynch, who was going to turn it into a television show. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a little strange. And it's called Bad Day on the Midway. Have you heard of this game? Nope. Okay. <laughs> this is a game by Inscape, and uh, Inscape made um, uh, Drowned God and uh, The Dark Eye, which people, if they have heard of Inscape at all, they've heard of The Dark Eye. It's like an Edgar Allan Poe game with weird puppets. And um, this game was a collaboration with the uh, art group, um, music group, The Residents, um, which I'm not a big fan of their music or stuff, but this is probably the weirdest, possibly scariest, most uncanny valley inducing game. Oh, God. You don't even look at it. Uh, I, it oh, God, this is terrifying. It's terrifying. Just looking at Valerie, it. Valerie, no. Yeah, it's terrifying, but it's also amazing and brilliant. So um, this, this, this game, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a first person point and click game where you play as a little child named Timmy who is having a very bad day on the midway. 
and um, you're in this weird carnival, and you can uh, actually there. There's about like eight other characters. Um, there's like a there's like a serial killer. There is a like a a woman. There's like a fortune teller lady, um, and you can actually take control of all of the characters in the game. And actually, to complete the full version of the game, you have to um, play the game from multiple perspectives. You are timed, um, and there is a lot of possibility to actually kill off all of the main characters so the game just can't be completed. Um, so it, it, it's a game that really doesn't... Uh, it, it's not very light with you. Um, it's uh, very disturbing. It, uh, it, it plays on a lot of themes of like loss of innocence and isolation and mental illness, and it is... Um, it's a head trip. I mean, there's nothing else that looks or sounds like it. Um, and it's a, if you can stomach the unnerving aspects of it, um, then, I mean, there, there's simply no other video game quite like it. And uh, I, I'm a huge fan. It, it's really inspiring to me uh, personally. But it's, it uses this... Um, just looking at the screenshots, you can probably tell uh, how bizarre it looks. Uh, the reason why it looks that way is because they used a technique called Synchronovox, which essentially, um, they basically uh, green screened on real human eyes and mouths that they recorded ah! onto CG models. Ah! And so you combine that with the weird 1990s primitive graphics, and you've got something ah! that looks absolutely horrifyingly beautiful. Um so yeah, bad day in the midway. Probably not going to make the list, but I wanted to talk about it. So oh my god, because the the bit that I jumped into is there's a guy in a in a red uh, red tie and a shirt and a, and a jacket, and he's got his glasses on, and then his mouth is just this gaping maw of horror. Yeah, uh huh. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to go so far as to say it's sexy. Um, uh, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to yuck your yum. Um. Wow. Okay. Oof, God. Yeah, now you, now you have to do some eye bleach to to get that to get yeah. that washed out of your memory. So my number. Oh, I've got so many honorable mentions, but my number five because I could do another Lucas Arts, but I'm going to go with. Uh, so you talked about like a couple of guys making a video game, um, and I think this started th- this series. Uh, it's put out by uh, a game company that made a lot of series uh, with the same suffix. This will all make sense in a bit. Um, and the, the two guys who I believe put this game together uh, were, were known as two guys from Andromeda. That was like their working working name. Uh, and the game uh, is Space Quest Four, specifically. Um, so after I'd been introduced to Discworld, my friend then popped in on the same day when he got his new CD-ROM. He uh, popped in disc, uh, Space Quest 4, um, and uh, you play as Roger Wilco, who um, is a space janitor. And in this one, because they've gone meta, you are escaping the sequel police, oh my who are 
trying to yeah destroy you because you've made too many sequels uh and you go back and forwards in i can't i don't remember if you actually go back and forwards in time you probably don't but you you zip around to other worlds you go to a space mall you briefly get a job at a burger bar where you've got to make burgers you sift through a bin full of um there's just loads of gags of like uh cut price one dollar uh games that you can buy in the game um and it's just it's just great it's it was i think some of the jokes were a little bit over our heads at the time because it's a little bit smarter than like discworld is just like discworld is funny on on like kind of lots of different levels you know you don't have to be that smart to think discworld is funny if you like things that are a bit weird and a bit silly this game isn't silly as much it's got more wry humor and uh really good performances the guy who is the main voice uh who is the narrator is uh the guy who played powdered toast man in the uh, ren and stimpy cartoons so I have a fond memory of him saying, are you clinging tenaciously to my buttocks? Oh, my goodness. That's just a, that's I, just a different memory. But yeah. I do remember this game now that you've said it, and I looked at a screenshot, and I remember, is is there a Space Quest Five called Latex Babe Babes of Estros? I think that's about right. There is a Space Quest Five. I So I remember this being like, the the weird horny game where you die a lot, um, but I I haven't heard <laughs> I haven't heard people talk about it <laughs> in a really long time because I remember just falling to my death off of like a cliff or something like you get like put on uh, this kind of like desert world or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I don't remember the fact that you were a space janitor. I I played this like I must have played this like years and years and years ago. Um, but I'm definitely going to have to revisit it uh, now that you now that you've brought it up again. So I guess they're 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 um, they're kickstarting something. Oh no! Oh god! Are they? Coming they're coming back, back now. <laughs> uh, they, I'm, I'm seeing this poster of them with their like little pig noses uh, and weird <laughs> yeah. '80s haircuts. All right. Well, you know. Good luck to them, I guess. Good luck to them, I guess. <laughs> for sure. So this is Valerie Paris and uh, an absolute. Uh, hoot of an episode really enjoyed it so uh, thank you to valerie uh, you'll find links to her work at uh, listenvypod.com and of course they are uh, they should be in your hot little fa- uh, hand right now if you've got your phone in your hand um, or in your pocket or wherever you keep your phone listen i'm not judging um yeah listenvypod.com is where you will find that and past episodes and then speaking of future episodes next week we are taking a walk we are uh, talking about the benefits of going for a good long walk so uh, very much an about face but that is kind of what we do here on list envy this is the show about joy <laughs> uh, the joy of discovery so uh, yes um other than that, uh, I'm busy. I'm busy about the web. Uh, I, I'm doing some clubhouse things occasionally. I'm going to be on clubhouse on. Oh, in fact, the day after this airs, uh, five o'clock on Wednesday, I will be on clubhouse uh, talking about uh, introversion and clubhouse. So, uh, if you're if you're part of the clubhouse world at the moment, uh, this is the the uh, new sort of social network thing where a bunch of um, extroverts uh, talk to each other uh, using audio only. Um, and I, I've already talked about uh, on on other platforms how some of that is like I like going in and I like listening and I like facilitating, but I'm not necessarily big on um, 
hosting a room and so i'm 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 joining in a conversation uh about introversion and um so it's it's me an introvert um being uh interviewed by an extrovert so if that interests you uh and you've got the clubhouse app uh you can follow a mark steadman and you'll find me uh, having a chat on f- uh yeah on wednesday um other than that then uh listenvpod.com as i said for everything else a mark steadman on twitter uh let us get back into our combined lists uh of the top five point-and-click adventure games in history. Usually, in the background, I'm trying to sort of combine the lists as we talk, but I've had too much fun, and, and I haven't known a lot of these games, so I've just been digging into them. Um, but from your side, we've got Grim Fandango, Mist, Still Life, Loom, and Bad Day on the Midway, none of which I have successfully played. On my list, we have Day of the Tentacle, Discworld, Little Big Adventure, Killing Mo- uh, Under a Killing Moon, and Space Quest Four. I'm going cool. I'm going to make a big argument for putting um Under a Killing Moon and um Day of the Tentacle on the list. Well, I think that satisfies our LucasArts list because I definitely think Grim Fandango should be number 1. I think it should be number 1. Um uh, and I, I we, we we can figure out where we put the rest later. Um I I don't think there's it's going to be a cold day in hell if I'm going to allow <laughs> Bad day on the midway. Yeah, um, you acquitted yourself very well with your ex- with with your description, but that's that's too that's too horrifying. Okay, all right, that's fair. <laughs> I th- I feel like Mist is a solid number two because it's a it's a uh, it's a revered game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's like yeah, people still still talk about. It. I mean, there's a reason why like I like market all my stuff is like Mist adjacent because like yeah, uh, there is a you know because people people have really fond memories of it. I think it was super influential and I think it deserves to be on there for sure. Well, how's how's about this from five to one? Under a Killing Moon, Day of the Tentacle, Discworld, Mist, Grim Fandango. Yeah, I think that's five, right? Yeah, that is that's a that's a that's a good five. I think that's a good five. I mean, hmm. Do I want to sacrifice something to to get still life on there? I mean, but Grim Ooh, Fandango okay. kind of like it's got to be uh, Grim Fandango's got to be on there. And if I put still life over Mist, that would just be kind of misrepresenting the genre. I think so. Yeah, I, think- I, I can I can lose Killing Moon, and I think I think Miss uh, I think Still Life would not be a bad substitute. No, you know what I I <laughs> I want to put Killing Moon on there. So I, I I think I think we have our five. I, I'm very happy with it. All right. Well, I will ask you formally then, Valerie Paris. Do you consent to this list? I consent to this list. Do you, so. I've got a few honourable mentions, and I feel like more are going to fall out of my head as we talk. Um, but uh, do you have any that that were like close to making your your list that didn't? Oh, for sure. Um, so big shout out to Puppet Motel uh, by Laurie Anderson. Uh, shout out to um, I want to say uh, Barrow Hill, uh, The Curse of the Ancient Circle. Um, that's uh, that's kind of like a it, that's a later one. I think that was like two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, weird caught in the British hillside and there's fairies and they're coming to kill you with their big stones kind of game. Um, wow. So honorable mention to that one. And then I want to say, I don't know, like Shivers is pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what, are, what are your honorable? Uh, there's probably another one, but it'll come to me. Well, I've got a, I've got a LucasArts in the uh, form of Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. Oh yeah, that's a kind of a lesser known one too. Yeah, 
Oh, Fate of Atlantis as well. Indiana Jones oh, and yeah, Fate yeah. of Atlantis, yeah. Goblins. This was a whole series, uh, and the number of eyes in Goblins changed depending on the number of goblins that you played with, I think. Uh, and so the one that I remember, I think, might have had three eyes. Uh, and they were, it was, it was just like, they were just puzzles. There, there was no sort of, not so much adventure. It was just puzzles, but they were fun. Simon the Sorcerer, which sort of went toe to toe with Discworld, uh, for a bit and tried to sort of, um, get, get some of that juice, I think. Um, voiced by, uh, the, uh, ch- well, the first game anyway was voiced by the chap from Red Dwarf who played, uh, the hologram. Oh, very uh, nice. Great series. Yeah. It's Chris Barry. Um, and then Starship Titanic, which I was reminded of when I was looking at uh, Bad Day on the Midway, uh, because it's got the same kind of 3D, uh, the way the world works, where it's it's lots of images and you sort of, you have this motion blur way of moving between what are basically static images. Um, and, and Starship Titanic was Douglas Adams's uh, game uh, based on a universe that was tangentially related to Hitchhiker's Guide. It had Terry Jones, it had John Cleese, it had Eric Idle a little bit and uh, ter- and Douglas Adams right at the end. Um, and it was just just unnecessarily hard uh, as a game, oh, yeah. um, but quite fun. Very cool. I, I, I want to have one more honorable mention, and that is Eastern Mayans, um, The Lost Souls of Tong Nu. And uh, this is a game by the creator of uh, LSD Dream Dream Emulator, if anybody's familiar with that game. It's a PS1 classic. It's got, like, a lot of resurgence these days. Oh, I've seen it listed, yes. Um, But that one's not a point-and-click game. But Eastern Mind, uh, Lost Souls of Tong Nu, is a game that requires you to die nine times in order to uh, uh, finish it, because you get reincarnated every time that you die. And it is a madcap uh, multimedia um head trip game mm-hmm. and uh it's it's super weird I, I if you like weird stuff check it out it's pretty cool we've yeah we we've we've got we've got weird for days here yeah, I, I know i don't i'm not gonna advocate any drug use but like hey it's covid <laughs> i'm like what are you gonna do like play eastern Souls yeah, i don't think drug use is necessary um we can we can induce uh we can induce uh, just by uh, playing uh, some of these games yeah yeah a state of mental alteration <laughs> um yeah. So, uh, so you you are you are busy on uh, on itch. Um, you you've so you've got you've got the uh, the butterfly collector. Are you working on a new one? Yeah. So I'm working on. Um, so yeah, butterfly collector is the point click game, and then I'm working on a game with Valerie Dusk, uh, and uh, her and I are making a Policist, which is a game where you fuck a building. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a horror game, and yeah. I hope everybody. Oh, Valerie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Where can people um, see you and your work and and follow what you do? Wonderful. Uh, Yes, you can follow me on uh, at Uncanny Valerie on Twitter. Um, Also, also follow me uh, on itch.io on my my page. And um, thank you. This this was this was some super fun. I would say this was like definitely number one on top five podcasts I've ever been on. So thank you so much for your. <laughs> I will I will gladly take that, uh, and I will say Valerie, thank you so much for being on this. All right, thank you so much, Mark. Take care. Mm-hmm.